Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Listen to the scripture. In John 12, 12, the Bible says, The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. I want to speak to you this morning from a sermon titled, Does Your Heart Cry, Hosanna? Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together, Lord. I thank you for your son and for your word. God, I pray that today you would anoint me with your spirit to say what you'd have me to say. God, teach us by your spirit, Lord. Show us what you'd have us to know. God, I pray that you'd increase our faith today and let our hearts cry, Hosanna, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, what we just do? Something fall down? Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, amen. Did I did I tell y'all where those cards were? I talked for an hour about those cards. They're down here. <laughs> y'all help me out. I ain't getting no younger. Um, get some of these cards on your way out. Now let's focus on this matter of does your heart cry Hosanna? Some people are thinking, I don't even know that that's a real word, preacher. It's a, it's a Bible word. It's a Christian word, and before you leave here today, I want you not only to understand it, but I want you to feel it on the inside. Today, churches all around the world are celebrating what we call Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, I was telling my kids this, Palm Sunday is my favorite week of the year to preach. Every year, there's a couple of weeks where I preach a very similar message because it's so impactful to me. Uh, around July 15th, I'm going to preach, I haven't always been like this, to talk about my conversion experience and my spiritual birthday. Easter, I'm always going to preach a very similar message about the cross and resurrection. Palm Sunday, I have preached this, a very similar message for uh, over a decade every year. It's my favorite message of the year. I, I love that message so much, I just keep re-preaching it. But this year, the Lord's taking me in a different direction. Uh, so what I want to recommend you do, you want to hear a great message, go to the archives and listen to last year's Palm Sunday message or the year before that or the year before that or the year before that because it's all basically the same skeleton outline. But today, I want to take a different look at Palm Sunday. But we still need to understand what Palm Sunday represents uh, in liturgical churches, more formal churches, churches that stick to a pattern uh, year in and year out, week in and week out. Uh, Palm Sunday is called the Sunday of the Passion. It, it's the last Sunday in Lent. Lent is a six-and-a-half-week period, 40 days not counting Sundays, that leads up to Easter. It starts on Ash Wednesday. Any, anybody know what happens the day before Ash Wednesday? Well, you don't call it Mardi Gras. Fat Tuesday. You, you got Fat Tuesday followed by Ash Wednesday. Now, why do you think 
people are putting ashes on their head on Wednesday because of all what they just did on Fat Tuesday, uh, which is a crazy and a wild thing. Listen, I was born into the Catholic Church, uh, so I, I can tell you some things about liturgy, and I can tell you some reasons why uh, Catholics around the globe have to have Lent because after Fat Tuesday and doing all that damage in Mardi Gras, they had to come around and, and, and get holy back in their mind. But churches celebrate this time leading up to Easter. And this week that precedes Easter starts on the Sunday before Easter, which is Palm Sunday. It's when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem to spend his last week in earthly ministry um, on this planet and led up to Good Friday and, of course, Easter Sunday. So Palm Sunday messages are being preached about all over the world today. And I want you to realize this week, as you study Scripture, that your Christian brothers and sisters around the world are contemplating those events of the Passion Week, those events of the life of Jesus Christ. And I was telling my kids, it's, it's wild that... They didn't write down everything that Jesus did every day of his life. So it'd be like, or at least every day of his uh, earthly ministry, which is somewhere around three and a half, three, three, a little less than three and a half years. Uh, so what's that? 365 times three, that's, that's about 1,080 uh, plus another 30, 160, uh, another 185, that's about, about 1,200 days, is that 1,200 days, somewhere, I don't know, it's a lot of days, about a little over 1,000 days, why didn't you just write now like day 791, had a piece of toast for breakfast, washed it down with water, prayed for 19 hours, healed to 7,000 sick people, I don't, why, why didn't they write down everything, they didn't, but they have paid special attention to write down and record Historically for us, the events of the last week of his life. And uh, we, we ought to study those out and be thinking about those events. It's a good Bible study to go through. If you want some help with that, I thought I had it. I guess I didn't bring it out. But I've got a page printed out. Anybody that wants one, uh, come see me tonight. I'll have a bunch on me of the major events from Palm Sunday leading up, what he did on Monday, what he did on Tuesday, what he did on Wednesday, what he did on Thursday, and it's a great Bible study. But it's a big week for the church. It's called Holy Week in liturgical churches. It's so important, though. Think about this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke devote a third of their contents to this one week. So they're telling the story of the life of Jesus Christ from birth, but they, they spend at least a third of their book on just the events of this one week. And John finds it so important that he spends over half of his gospel on just this one week. So this is a big week. Say big week. Jesus has been doing ministry. He's been raising the dead, healing the sick, teaching about his father's kingdom, teaching about how to be in relationship with God, teaching about heaven, teaching about hell, teaching about money, teaching about loving God, teaching about loving people. And now he knows that he's coming into the big city where he's going to be crucified. He tells his followers that 
He must go to Jerusalem to be delivered into the hands of sinful men to be crucified and to be raised from the dead on the third day. Now, that's a wild story. Did you hear that last part, raised from the dead? You need to understand that Christians believe in some supernatural stuff. We really believe that there was a man named Jesus who died, was buried, and raised himself from the dead. Came back from the dead and talked to people. And so this is all leading up. Jesus is such an amazing figure in history. I've told you more books have been written about Jesus than any other figure in human history. And one of the cool things I love studying about the Lord is all the Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus in his life in such a short period of time. Starting from his virgin birth all the way through to what's going on in his life right now. But one of the prophecies is about 500 and probably 550, somewhere in there on best guess, 550 years before Jesus was even born, there, there was a prophet named Zechariah. And God told him to write these words down. See, this is how we get the Bible. God told holy men what to write. They wrote it down, and that's what we call our Bible. So in Zechariah, over 500 years before Jesus was even born, listen to the prophecy Zechariah gave in chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, even a donkey's colt. Now this thing, I'm not going to preach this, but you ought to study this passage out of Zechariah because there's some really crazy things going on there. Not only a, a prophecy 500 plus years before Jesus was even born, but the specific nature of how this is happening. Because one thing that the Jewish people had in common, they were all looking for deliverance. This was taught to them. Hey, listen, people who are oppressed understand the need to look for deliverance. People who are oppressed understand the need to want the foot off their neck and somebody to come and help them rise up. And the Hebrew people had been oppressed and they were looking for this promised Messiah, this promised deliverer. And Zechariah is telling them, okay, here's how this is going to break down. This is who you need to look for. Because Isaiah and other prophets have said, okay, here, here's some keys. He's going to be born of a virgin. Well, that cancels out every human being in the history of the world except Jesus, right? So Jesus the only qualified Savior there is, but there's all these Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his lifetime. That's why there's no doubt that Jesus is the only Savior. And Zechariah said, he is going, your king is going to come to Jerusalem. And Jesus is doing his ministry in Galilee outside of Jerusalem, but because he knows the final chapter is coming, he goes into the big city. And he comes just the way it was prophesied. Uh, he's righteous and he's victorious. The only righteous person in the world, because the prophet has already told us there's none righteous, so Jesus is the exception. There, everybody's born with, with, a, with a man uh, and, and a woman as a seed and an egg, and everybody comes but Jesus, so Jesus is the exception. And the prophet narrows it down. He says he's going to come to Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That wasn't specific enough, although shocking, because kings didn't ride on donkeys. Have you ever seen a donkey? It, it's like an a, a, a inbred 
retarded horse. It's like a half a horse mixed with a cow, a zebra, and a dolphin. Or a fish. I, it, it, it's, not a, it's not a majestic beast. Kings didn't ride donkeys. If a king was going to ride a donkey, he wouldn't ride a donkey's colt. Okay, because donkeys already aren't big and powerful looking. They're strong, but they're not big and powerful looking. And the donkey's colt would even be less impressive looking than the donkey. Are you following me? So this is not, okay, so if you said, all right, let's narrow it down. Let's look for everybody who could have possibly fit this description of the king of all kings. Okay, so, and, and then let's find the ones who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. But let's narrow it down even further than that. Let's, let's find one who rode in on a least impressive baby donkey because kings don't do that, and one person in the world did that, and this is Jesus. That's just a look at how Old, Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Fantastic study. I want you to get into the Bible and see how great our God is. But the people, some people there recognized what was going on. Some people there recognize because, like, it's in church. Sometimes I'll say some churchy word, and the church folk will get it, and the new Christians will be like, I don't know what he said. Is that making you? Hosanna. Who's Hannah? Hose what? Hosanna. And, and so there's these words that churchy folk get that, that other people are like. But the, the people who really knew, they listened to mom and daddy tell the story about the deliverer that was coming. They realized when they saw this who had been claiming himself to be their king and he's riding on a donkey and he's coming into the big city. They're like, oh, wow, this, this, is, this is prophecy fulfilled. And, and they greeted him here. And I'm not going to take the time to go through a Palm Sunday message and read all this. Jesus is coming into the city, and he's riding on this donkey's coat. Now, I, I, we went on a drive the other day. I told my kids, we just drove further than Jesus traveled in his whole lifetime. And they were like, yeah, but he was walking. I said, good point. <laughs> Jesus didn't do a, a, a lot of distance, but he did it on foot. He did it walking. This, this is different. He comes in on a donkey, and a donkey's coat. And these people, they know kings don't come in on donkeys, but they knew Jesus was different. And so they made a parade on the spur of the moment. They made a parade on the spur of the moment. They, they cut down palm branches. They spread their clothes out in front of him. They rolled out a red carpet, and they heralded him as the king. And they looked to him. Some were looking to him for the right reasons. Others were looking to him. For the wrong reasons. And that's about how we come to church now. Some people come to church wanting the right things from God. Other people come to church wanting their own thing from God. And so there's these people represented in this crowd, but they begin to throw this parade for him on this ride in. They, they begin putting down palm branches for his baby donkey to walk on, which I just think that probably hurt the donkey's feet. I mean, I don't know how good donkey's feet are, but... They put these palm branches down, and they're closed down, and they're showering him with praise, and they are shouting Hosanna, which most literally is interpreted save us or save us now. And it, be, it became to be an expression of praise 
and expression of joy. Uh, and, and we'll look at that in a minute. But they're giving him this on-the-spot parade. They, they wanted Jesus to save them. He knew that they, they knew he was their deliverer, but they just didn't understand how all that worked together. So in my traditional Palm Sunday message, I would talk about the need to prepare his entrance. And I am a creature of habit, as we all are, me more so than most. Um, I stay in my lane. I have a very determined path, and I stay in it. I don't venture wide from it. I don't order new things off the menu. I, I get what I, I mean, I'm a very uh, consistent, one-lane kind of guy, and I love that about God. He always is the same, and that's easy for me to relate to. Some, some of you, you know, far out there people, sometimes you got to reel it in, get your mind around the fact that God does the same thing the same way. But we talk about that a lot at Abundant Life, the consistent character of God. And if he did it this way before, you know he's going to do it this way again. And Jesus was coming in to a big situation. And so typically I would remind you that if you need Jesus to show up in your life, there's some preparation that has to happen. you got to throw him a parade. you got to do certain things to roll out the carpet for Jesus to show up. Some of you want Jesus to show up in your marriage, in your schools, all these kids uh, demanding change and, and, the, and the march yesterday and all these politicians arguing um, that, it, about all these different things that need to happen. Listen, it takes more than just a parade to make something happen. I'm not anti-parade and I'm not anti-protest, but I'm telling you, if you really want change to happen, you got to put the work in. And it can't just be about a one-time thing. Some of you are wondering why God doesn't show up in your finances. You haven't put the work in. Some of you wonder why God doesn't show up in your relationship. You haven't put the work in. There's a preparation required for Jesus showing up, and, and this parade is all part of it. The work is all part of it. And I want to make sure that as Christians, we are doing the proper preparation to invite Jesus into our situation. You want God to show up in your situation? There, there's work to be done. But in our text, Jesus is making his way in I want us to see how we can prepare for his entrance. I want us to see some things uh, that were unique in this time in the Lord's life. Uh, one big thing I want you to understand is as they're making this parade, he didn't tell anyone to shut up. You say, well, that would have been rude. Well, take it how you want it. Almost every single time before when the crowds got loud, Jesus withdrew. Whenever Jesus did something uh, amazing for someone, he told them, keep this on the DL. We're not talking about this to anybody. Don't go tell anybody. Um, Jesus has been doing ministry for over three years at this point, and he had downplayed every big thing he had done. He withdrew when the crowds got too big. He went into solitary places. He did not allow the people to celebrate him during his entire earthly ministry or to even celebrate largely publicly what he had done in their life, but there's a change here, say change. See, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus healed a leper, but he said, see that you tell no one, but go your way. Don't now, see, this, this is wild, because if somebody, if, if some religious figure healed you from a, a, an incurable disease, You'd be on social media right away. You would be calling everybody, texting everybody, putting it on blast. And Jesus heals the leper, says, don't tell anybody. 
Just go your way, offer the gift that Moses commanded. Uh, in, in Mark 8, he healed a blind man. And he said, don't go into town and don't tell anybody about it. Like, okay, well, you've done something great for this man. You, you should get the credit. You, but Jesus is consistently through his whole ministry. He's like, shh, keep this quiet. Because he knew the crowds would get so large, the mob would get so intense that he wouldn't be able to move from place to place and do what God had called him to do. So he's constantly downplaying it. And in Mark chapter 5, he raises a little girl from the dead. Now, you can't get much bigger than that. And I don't know what it's like to have a girl, because I thank God he blessed me with boys. Uh, and people talk about, ooh, that little girl got daddy wrapped around her finger. I, 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 I don't know what it's like to personally have a girl, but I've seen dudes really get wound up in their daughters. Amen? So I'm like, man, you know, if, if, if God raised one of our sons from the dead, that's cool. He can cut the grass. But... <laughs> You know, if God raised a little girl from the dead, then that's all. You know, they write stories about stuff like that. But Jesus raises this little girl from the dead, and he tells all of them, Shh, keep this to yourself. Don't tell anybody about it. Mark 5, 43 says, he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, but give her something to eat. That's his whole deal. He's like, okay, just raise your daughter from the dead. Y'all don't talk about this to nobody, but get this girl something to eat because she's hungry. Now, I mean, you know, somebody, we, we got churches in our city. If they give out a, a, a bottle of water at a soccer game, they wrap the label with their church name on it and then put it on social media saying, look what we did. Uh, Jesus had raised this girl from the dead. And like, nah, don't tell anybody about it, but get her a sandwich. And he's downplaying everything throughout his whole, he's raising the dead, he's healing incurable diseases, and he's telling all of them. Keep it quiet because I need to fly beneath the radar. I, I, don't, I don't need these crowds to overrun me. But right here in a crowd of people chanting for him, celebrating him, the change happens. He does not tell them to be quiet. And, and, and the point of the, the, the matter is this. Some of you are working on an old paradigm when you need to catch up to where the Lord is now. See, some of you have had God do things in your life, and you think it's still A.D. 31. And, and Jesus is still trying to keep, keep quiet what he's doing. But Jesus is no longer asking anybody to keep quiet from celebrating and bragging on what he's doing. Every time God does something for you now, you ought to shout it from a mountaintop. Every time God does something for you now, you ought to tell the whole world how good God is because he's no longer expecting us to keep it quiet. So there's this big change that happens on Palm Sunday from this private uh, keep it quiet ministry to this large parading brag on the Lord ministry. And I want you to know, I've said it for years, but I want you to get it deep in your spirit that the more you brag on God, the more he'll give you to brag on him about. You need to learn how to celebrate God. If you woke up today, and I'm guessing most of you did, you, you should have thanked God for life because some people didn't. If you were able to stand up when you got out of bed and walk to the bathroom on your own power, you ought to give God praise. So, some of y'all ain't got to the point in life where that matters to you. When their feet start tingling, they'll know something. Won't the elder Jimmy? When, when they will step out of bed and they feel like they're walking on nails, then they'll, they'll know something about giving God thanks. But we need to be the celebrating crowd, not the quiet crowd. Mm, 
All right, I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to get you out of here early today. That's, that's my promise. We got a change going on. Jesus isn't telling them to be quiet anymore. No more beneath the radar. We need to tell everybody what God's doing in our life. But let's get back into this text. Jesus comes to Jerusalem. It's the last week of his earthly ministry. He's going to be crucified and raised from the dead. As he enters the city, the people cry this word, Hosanna. And I want you not only to know the word, I want you to feel the word. I want you, see, I, I love words. I love the, the, the way words work. I, I love words that have multiple meanings. Here's, I'll show you one. Hey. What did I just say? Hey. 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 Same word. Meant a whole bunch of different stuff. Based on who I said it to and how I said it. See, wor words are cool. Words are exciting. Study the Bible. You're going to find out how awesome words are. But this, this word, Hosanna, is, is a fascinating word uh, based on the way it's used and whether or not you feel it. See, there's some words. Now, you, you sometimes ghettoisms are just ridiculous. serve no purpose other than being full flavor uh but but sometimes your your vocabulary and your understanding of words will help if you will get into a little more flavorful description because you can hear me audibly but not be hearing me you can hear something and Somebody say, you heard me, but you ain't feeling me. Feeling is what you do at a gas station. But we understand when somebody says, you ain't feeling me, they understand the words that I'm saying are not having an impact on the inside of you. You're not relating to what I'm saying. You're not capturing the essence of what I'm trying to get to you. And so there are people that can hear Hosanna, but they ain't hearing it. There are people who can say Hosanna, but they ain't feeling it. And there are people who don't care at all. And everybody in this room is in one of those groups today. Everybody in this room is going to process this information in one of those aspects today. So this word Hosanna, which literally means save now, save us now, uh, is unique to the Palm Sunday, entry into Jerusalem, that's where we find this word. But we find a root word in one verse in the Old Testament, Psalm 118, 25. And the psalmist said this, please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Okay? Now, see, this is one of those words, this is one of those verses where you can hear it but not be hearing it. This is one of those verses where you can read it but not be feeling it. But it's also one of those verses, if you're the right kind of person and you know the Lord on a certain level, when you read that, you're like, that, that's what I'm talking about right there. Yes. Amen. See, amen means I agree with that. I feel that. You said something that meant something to me. And when the psalmist said, please, Lord, please save us, that's Hosanna. That's somebody feeling Hosanna all the way down to their feet. Now, everybody 
wants salvation from something. You might not want salvation from your sins. You might not want salvation from your situation. You just might want salvation from people being ignorant around you. A few things in life try me harder than ignorant folk. But see, here's the key. I'm going to help somebody. The devil knows your trigger. The devil knows what, what sets you off. So the next time them ignorant people get on your nerve, just join in ignorance with them. And the devil will be like, oh, this don't bother him no more. He had to get a whole new plan. But some people, people want savings from different things. Now, when you're driving down the road minding your own business, and you see that man behind you with them light bubbles on the top of his car, you want salvation at that point. You want salvation. You don't want to get shot. Because I don't know. I mean, getting shot or getting hauled off into prison, neither one of them good ideas for me. But you, you, don't, you don't want to get a ticket. You don't want your insurance to go up. You don't want to sit there and listen to his speech for an hour and a half while he runs your tag. You, you don't want to be just, you, you want deliverance. Get it in your mind. Salvation and deliverance come from the exact same root word. They come from the same thought process. That's why when the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, it also says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Some of y'all have been saved, so you think that's a wrap, that's the end of it, but you might not need salvation in the tense of you ain't going to hell no more, but you still need deliverance from ignorant people. From cops who pull you over when you're minding your own business. From, from people who are trying to just sweat you and, and, and bother we, we need from habits, addictions, uh, just we need salvation. We need deliverance. The psalmist is feeling it all the way down. Once you start, I mean, this, this is just total ain't too proud to beg right here. I mean, what do we got? One, two, three, four, four big words in there. Man, you really, you really start feeling but when you start saying, Mom, can I do this? You change that up with, please, Mom, can I do this? When you get to, please, Mom, please, you are, I mean, you just have to a knee right there. When you get on both knees and, and you just throw four pleases out, and, and for one thing, you are sincere about that. The psalmist is desperate for deliverance, desperate to get out of the situation that he's in. And this is why only a few rich people will ever come to Jesus. This is why only a few intellectual people will ever come to Jesus. Now, if that offends your sense of, you know, uh, social economic structure, if that offends your sense of, you know, academia, intellectualism, then realize the Bible said not many noble, not many mighty, not many wise people has he called. Uh, Jesus ain't wasting his time calling people who ain't going to answer. And most rich people trust their money. And most higher structured people, you know, we live in a class system. Uh, even, even though, uh, you know, we, we live in a country that says all men are created equal, but they started with a class system. That's a different topic for a different day. We still live, we're stu stuck in a class system where people judge people by what they wear, what they drive, how they live, uh, you know, all these other color of their skin, all these different things that, that don't make us different because we're all the same on the inside. But we, we live in this system where, where, where people have, you know, these different stations in life. But no matter where you find yourself in life, everybody needs help. 
Rich people count on their money for help. Some do. Most do. Smart people count on their brains to get out of their situation. Some do. Most do. Oppressed people or people with good enough sense to know that God is stronger than them count on God to get out of their situation and know that only God can get me out of this. And that's why some people got to fall all the way to the bottom. Some people got to fall all the way to the bottom where they finally quit trusting their money, quit trusting their family, quit trusting their pedigree, quit trusting their background, quit trusting their intellect, quit trusting their strength of will, quit, quit trusting their work ethic, and finally realize, I need the Lord. Where, where people with good common sense, see, there's a difference between book sense and common sense. The people with good common sense just know right off the rip, I need God. And the psalmist is, is, is one of those powerful people, but yet understands that he needs the Lord in such a desperate way. I wonder, are you desperate for the Lord today? See, some people come to church just because it's Sunday, and they're supposed to go to church. Other people come to church because they've been desperately hanging on to the Lord all week long. They just want to get around some other people that are desperately hanging on to the Lord. It's like, man, if you're a survivor of you know, uh, the Battle of the Bulge, um, Pearl Harbor, if you're, if you're a survivor of some natural disaster, if you're a survivor of some large school shooting, uh, you find some commonality. You want to get around those people and tell your story. You'd be like uh, me and a couple other guys, uh, ladies in this room, uh, we Army guys stuck in a Navy town. You've got to get around some people to know your story and know your background. And so, I mean, this, this, this commonality that we share as Christians needs to deepen in our lives. See, black folk get around black folk to talk about black stuff. White folk get around white folk to talk about money. Um, <laughs> Hispanic folk get around Hispanic folk to talk about family and food. You shouldn't be stereotyped. Hey, listen, hush. <laughs> if it's the truth, it's the truth. But we need to not do away not just act like we, we uh, people like, Pastor, I don't see color. Well, get some glasses, fool. <laughs> Bump into the wrong person that way. Obviously, we come from different backgrounds, and some of those backgrounds have caused you to have a commonality with other people. I like people that like baseball. I like people that like the Army until I found out they wore their uniform wrong. I mean, you, you find there's, there's common ground. But why don't we understand that the depth of our commonality should be in Christ more than anything else? Because one day, your family name won't be your name anymore. The Bible says he's going to give you a new name in heaven. One, one day, your relationships on earth won't matter anymore because the Bible says there ain't nobody married in heaven but to Jesus. One day, your education won't matter. All these things are going to be taken away from us. That's why some of us have already decided, who, whose team I'm on, I'm on the Lord's team. Everybody on the Lord's team, I'm with that. Listen, I'm so serious about that, even if they are Florida State fans. Deacon West, I, 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 that's still my brother. Listen, even, hey, even if they like hockey, I'll let you know, hockey's not a real sport. 
See, see, I, I know it's a real sport. I just said that to get you to show yourself. Because I say, I say Florida State, Deacon West is like, uh-huh. I put on hockey, everybody froze on me. So I'm like, how do I bring out my hockey fans? Bam! you just been exposed. Don't work the man working the microphone. Here we go. So the psalmist cries out with a desperate understanding, I need God. And from the root word that he says, please save us, we get this Greek word, Hosanna. And we find it only in the New Testament in this Palm Sunday setting where Jesus is coming in and they're shouting Hosanna because more than anything else, they wanted immediate help from their present situation. They should have been shouting Hosanna, save us, because we're lost and on our way to hell. They should have been shouting Hosanna because there's an eternity on the other side of this life. They should have been calling out for salvation because eternity is forever and this life is not. But most people still today, when they call out to God, they are looking for an immediate fix from their personal pain when the deeper issue is so much bigger. So what is it that you want God to save you from? See, these people had been oppressed for hundreds of years. They had, had that they've been enslaved. They had the Romans just 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 oppressing them brutally and they had a promise from God that said one day I'll send you a deliverer and he will reestablish the throne of your father David in the city of our God Jerusalem. And so this is why Jews today all non-Messianic Jews, this is why real Jews today do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Because they thought he was, he fulfilled a lot of prophecy, but when he died and he didn't crush the Roman Empire and reestablish the city of David and the throne of David in Jerusalem, they said, well, we thought he was the one, but he ain't. But see, what they don't realize is he's coming back again, and that's part B of his whole solution for the world. He's going to do that when he comes back the second time. But they disqualified him based on that. Most of the people that were crying Hosanna weren't looking for salvation or a relationship with God. They were looking, get these Romans off our neck. You're going, they're rolling out the red carpet for Jesus on Palm Sunday because they think he's going to crush their oppressors. And I have met, it is just the wildest thing to me, I have met white Americans that have books and, and lies and theories that tell them that they're the real Jews and that they're the people of God. And that's silly and that's ridiculous because white Americans are white Americans and Jews are Jews. Uh, but it's no less ridiculous than the uh, black Jews or black Hebrew movement. And I've met people who say the blacks are the real Hebrews because we've been oppressed like that. Irish people have been oppressed. They didn't make them Hebrew. Oh, it touched a nerve. Listen, white people crawled over here, stole land from Indians, from Europe. Black people got drug over here from Africa. Don't make any of us Hebrew. You want to see a Hebrew? Get up to the sandwich shop. Pastor, you shouldn't be like that. Listen, I'm trying to help you. Pawn shop, somewhere. 
You, you find some, get a good lawyer. You want, you want to find a Hebrew? Get a good lawyer. I already, hey, you already know. I don't, I, hey, you get, I get in the box. I'm, I'm finding somebody named Goldstein, Goldstein, Silverman, somebody. The Jew has a special place in God's plan that America doesn't hold. They thought because they couldn't see past their pain that the salvation they needed was from the Romans. There are people today, especially oppressed people, who can't see past their pain and they look to God for deliverance from their situation here on this planet. That is not the salvation that we need to be primarily concerned with. If your struggle is a struggle for 70 years on this earth, but you get heaven forever, it was worth it. If your struggle is your struggle for 400 years or 4,000 years, but you get heaven on the other side, your struggle was worth it. We've got to understand when we say Hosanna, we're just not talking about from a mean boss, from a class system, or from an oppressive regime. That's the mistake that they had. And if your vision is so clouded by your personal level of pain, you will never be able to relate to God properly. So what is it that you want deliverance from? What is it that you, if, if God was in the room right now, and he is in his spirit form, but if God showed up in a physical body and he said, I'm going to deliver you from whatever you need deliverance from right now. See, I need deliverance from this back pain. Every minute of every day for six years, my back is hurt. But if God asked me in physical form, what's the one thing you want me to save you from? Hell. Because I know I deserve to die and go to hell. I don't get people who don't understand that. You think you're all that in a bag of chips? You act like you never sinned, like you never broke a rule? God said if you broke one, you're guilty of breaking them all. You say, well, I never murdered anybody. I don't deserve to die and go to hell. I ain't asking you to compare yourself to your, 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 your crazy Uncle Willie. I'm saying compared to God, we are all sinners. So sure, I want deliverance from back pain. I got some emotional things I'd like to be delivered from. But more, the big thing I want to make sure, when God says, I'm going to save you from one thing. Well, save me from hell forever. How about that? When, when, when I say Hosanna, I'm looking big picture. What are you looking? When, 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 you, when, you, when, you, when you ask God to save you, when you please, Lord, help me. Now, I, got, I only have my stories. But some of y'all can relate to some of my stories. I was... Um, because my sister turned me into one, a blind, pass-out, drunk alcoholic. Just pass, yay, y'all look at her sweet and innocent if y'all want to. She is now, because God changed her life. But I learned to carry around gallon jugs of Everclear in the trunk, because, you know, wine is fine, but liquor is quicker, and if you really want to get there, you get you some liquor clear. When your liquor says on the bottle, do not consume this straight from the bottle, you know you got a fire starter right there. Before there was ever clear being sold, my sister riding around with gallons of whole grain alcohol. That's why we called it back, whole grain alcohol. That's straight up moonshine. And there were plenty of times we, we would be passed out 
And we'd go to parties, they'd find you know, one in the house fell out, one in the ditch, one in the street, face down at the beach. I've had my days crying for deliverance on the toilet bowl, wake up and have a dry heat room spinning out of control. I'm just begging, oh, Jesus. I'm screaming, Hosanna. Save me from these dry heaps. But God is not interested in saving me from the dry heaps. I had to do that myself and stay off, stay off that Everclear. God is not interested as much. He cares about my pain because he's my father. But this pain has a purpose. I don't have to know what it is. But I know one day I won't have it. Because I know when my heart cries Hosanna, I'm looking big picture. I'm not just looking for the salvation that comes from my back not hurting anymore. I'm not just looking for a better president. I'm not just looking for a more fair system. I'm not just looking for a less oppressive government. When I cry Hosanna, I'm looking at the big picture. I need salvation from my sins. I need to get to heaven and spend eternity in heaven when I die. So my question to you this morning is, do you even cry out to God? Help me. Help me. Help, please help me. And if you do, what is the primary thing that you're crying Hosanna over? See, they cried out because they knew what the psalmist said. Please save us. Please give us success. See, we want success. But the salvation has to precede the type of success you're looking for. See, I want my kids to be successful. But I'd rather they be drunk, homeless ditch diggers their whole life, find Jesus and still get to heaven, than be rich people living in a mansion. When I think about the success I want for the people that I love, it doesn't have anything to do with money, what they drive, how they live. It doesn't have anything to do with what their bank account says. When I, want, when I think about success for the people I care about, uh, the success shows in eternity. Are you going to make heaven? So my question to you, do you cry, Hosanna? Do you ask God for help? And it's okay to ask him for help for small things. He said, let your request be made known unto me. That's fine. He's your father. You can ask him for things. But the big thing, when you have a realization, he is really God. Are you asking him for help for the big things? My heart breaks for good people that come to church that aren't Christian. You say, well, pastor, why would they come to church? If they're not Christian, lots of different reasons. I don't have time to get into. But knowing that there are people that come to this church every week that would cry Hosanna for their situation, that would cry Hosanna for their relationships, that would cry Hosanna for their physical well-being, that would cry Hosanna for their financial well-being, but they've never truly been born again. That breaks my heart because I know all those other forms of help aren't going to matter. In eternity, we'd be better off going to heaven poor than hell rich. 
We'd be better off going to heaven lame than going to hell healthy. So I want you to get this in your mind, and I want you this week to think Hosanna. I want you this week to think he's God, and he can help me. And I want you to start crying out from the inside. See, people that love the Lord, that have been with God for a while, that have grown in their faith, they feel Hosanna even if they don't know the word. They feel Hosanna all the way down to their feet because they know God is really the only one that can bail them out. No one can do for you what God can do for you. God wants you to cry out for his help. God wants you to cry out for him to save you. Do you ever cry out to the Lord? Some of you trying to face life all on your own. Some of you trying to take all life's challenges on your own shoulders. God never intended your shoulders to do that. He wants to carry your load for you while you praise him for doing it. Lay your burden down and let God be your deliverer. Lay your burden down and let God carry you, not just through this life, but into eternity. Are you crying out to God? Last verse, I want to say, Matthew 15, 8 and 9 says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as the commands from God. It's one thing to say you love the Lord with your mouth, but where is your heart? You can say, Hosanna! With your mouth, you can say, God, save me. We see people come and pray to, and ask God to save them, but it doesn't change their life. Why? Because it's a, it's a lip thing. It's not a heart thing. Some of you are thinking, well, I don't need to get saved because I already walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. So I guess I'm saved. But you know your heart is far from God. When you cry out, save me, God, you need to make sure it's not just a lip thing. Because you can say all the right words without feeling it on the inside. So to wrap this up, I want you to cry out to God for salvation, for deliverance. But I don't want it just to be a lip thing. I want it to be a heart thing. I want you to feel it deep down in your, ho- in your heart. I can count on God. No matter what this life looks like, no matter what hand I get dealt, no matter what oppression and hardship I go through, He is my salvation. He is my deliverer. He is a very present help in time of trouble. He is the one who is going to see me through to the other side. No matter how many hills I have to climb, no matter how many valleys I have to drag through, He is going to get me home. Hosanna is His name because He's the only true Savior. Hosanna is who he is because he loves you and he wants you to ask for his help so he can give it to you. He's the king of all kings and he's the only sufficient savior. Do you call on him for help? Everybody in this room needs to cry Hosanna. Everyone in this room, if you want to hear good music, I listen to very limited form of music. If you want good music, ask me. I've shared with some of y'all some good music, and I won't lead you wrong. You want some really good music? YouTube Bishop Paul Morton. Hosanna 
in the highest. And you learn how to sing with Bishop Paul Morton, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is his name. He wants to save you. Not just in a salvation sense. He wants to help you in your moment-to-moment sense. What do you need God to be Hosanna in your life for? Start crying out to him. But if you only cry out to him with your mouth and your heart is far from him, then your worship is a farce. And he will not show up for your situation. He said, your, your, your mouth can say you love me, but if your heart is far from me, he already told us, you only find him when you search for him with your whole heart. Step away from some stuff and get more involved in your, spirit, in your spirituality. Put some stuff off and get more in your Bible. Spend more time in prayer. Spend more time calling out to him. If you want a whopper, There is only one place you can go. And if you want an Egg McMuffin, there is only one place you can go. Different locations, one place. If you want God to help you, you've got to go to his son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said he's the only way that you can get to the Father. Call out to him, but feel it on the inside. Call out to him for salvation. Call out to him for help. Call out to him for your struggle. But mean it. Don't let it just be words out of your mouth. Let it be the depth of your heart like the psalmist said, Please, Lord, please. I am begging you because you're the only one that can do this. There is salvation in none other, the Bible says. Only through Jesus. Hosanna is his name. Call on him for help. Pray with me. God, we love you. We thank you for saving us from our sins, God. We thank you for the life that you've given us, Lord. We need your help, so we ask you, God, help us now. Help us now, God. I pray for every person in the room who's not truly born again, Lord, that you would save them. God, I pray for every true Christian in the room that Hosanna would be in our mouth and in our hearts, that we would look to you in every situation of our life as our deliverer and as our Savior. Thank you for coming to this earth and being an example to us of what the Father looks like. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us success. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the heart of the hurting in this room. Give us hope for this day and our future. And let us know that hope is in Jesus. God, I pray that for each person here who's not saved, Lord, that you would let them call on you today. And for each person who is saved, that we would call on you for salvation, for healing, and deliverance. Because you're the only true God and you're the only one who can. And we thank you for that. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.